This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Psalm chapter 1, I want to talk to you for a few minutes on a sermon that I've titled, um, The Blessed Man, The Blessed Man. I'll read this to you. Uh, I was trying to memorize it so I could recite it, but I don't want to miss a word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The blessed man. We read this passage and we think, well, yeah, it's pretty cut and dry. The blessed man is one that stays away from sin. He's going to be blessed. He's going to be a happy man. He's going to be taken care of as long as he reads his Bible. But I believe believe there's more to this passage. And as we dive into this whole text, I want to find the truths that God's speaking through his word today. This is the first word of the Psalms. Psalm 1, verse 1, says, blessed is the man. It's the very first word, and it it is creating this idea of having a kind of life, a life that is blessed by God. This blessing means being supremely happy or fulfilled. It's a deep sense of well-being. It's not a superficial happiness, but it's a deep happiness of joy The joy we sang about a few minutes ago, it's something that's way down deep that comes beyond emotion, beyond a mental state of mind. It's a blessing. It is a a state of life that comes from the joy from God's grace in our life. One commentator writes, happy the man who choosing his friends avoids the enticements of the wicked, the company of wrongdoers, the corrosive influence of cynical And instead, taking pleasure in every revelation of the mind and will of God, feeding his mental life on the divine word. The life of such a man is ever fresh and fruitful and deep-rooted like a riverside tree. The wicked, on the other hand, resemble the dry husk blown about every kind of opinion and every open, ever open to condemnation and ostracized by society. Don't we want to be the man or woman Mankind is the word we're dealing with here. You can go back to the Greek and we're dealing with mankind. Don't we want to be the humankind that, that is truly blessed, that is happy, that's full of joy because of God's grace? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're striving for? When we see the, the blessings of God, the godly next to the emptiness of the wicked, the contrast is so different and it should make us choose life. 
There are three questions that I want us to explore in this passage. First of all, who is the blessed man? First of all, we can see the blessed man does not sin. The first two verses say, the first verse itself says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. The blessed man does not sin. What's scary is we can quickly be caught up in sin before we ever realize what's happened. Sin can grab us and it can choke us before we ever even wake up to realize where in the world am I living. The sinner is first influenced by sinners. Then he identifies with them and finally he spreads sin to others through laughter and sarcasm. See, we're first influenced and then we start listening and before long, we are acting on what the sinners are saying. As you listen to sinners, you want to be like them. You meditate on sin, although you may not call it that. We begin walking in the counsel of the wicked. And then we identify with sinners. The writer says, walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Don't walk not in council as I'm going to, uh, we're, we're having a council meeting, an assembly, but in the council, the direction, the advisement. Don't walk in the instruction. Don't walk in what they're saying. Don't walk in the way they're behaving. And then it goes on and he says, don't stand in the way of sinners. Well, we would like to read that and think, well, I can stand in the way of a sinner so he can't go any further. That's not what the text is saying. Early on in, in the beginning of the, the church, the church didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves people of the way. And the way was a way of life. The way was the way of Jesus. It was the way to heaven. It was the way. And so here we're looking at the same context as that, although we're dealing with way early, earlier prior to the early church. We're dealing with the same context of the way. Do not stand in the way in the lifestyle. Don't stand in that pattern. Don't stand in what they are standing. Don't, don't be like the sinner. That's what he's saying. The blessed man is not standing in the way of sinner. And before long, before we realize that we're identifying with sinner, we're identifying with the wrongdoer, and then we begin to live in the way that a sinner lives. And then we find ourselves sitting in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers are funny. They make you laugh. They're, they're prideful. They're they're acting out of the rebellion and they're acting out of the, the bitterness. And so often, if you think back to something maybe you've laughed at in the past, it was somebody saying something out of their own hurt to hurt somebody else. Hopefully we don't laugh at that, but realistically, we probably have. You with me? Most jokes told in our society, the punchline is to tear somebody else down. Right? Whether it be to tear down your mama, to tear down the blonde, to tear whatever it is, there's always something to tear down somebody else. And the scoffer, because they are at this place now of sin, they're at this place where they're living in this lifestyle, before they know it, they're at a place where they're tearing other people down and bringing other people down with them. 
Now remember, this was a blessed man that happened to be walking, and before he knew it, he was then walking in the counsel, the advisement of, of the wicked. He was following, and, and then he began to stand in the way. He began to live the lifestyle, and now he is saying the things they're saying. He's got the mentality because the bitterness of sin is in his heart, and it's rooted something down deep, and now he's tearing other people down with him. And often it happens, and we don't even realize we're there. That's the scary part. That's the importance. Tidbit, 25 cents worth that's not in the notes of being in a family of God. That's the importance of assembling together. Because if we are like-minded and we are living in a way that God is, is being honored and we're living this lifestyle, if you walk in as a scoffer, chances are Hopefully, you're not going to be condemned by the people, but hopefully because you're around God's people, you're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. You with me? We need each other. We need a group of Bible-believing people to be around us so that when we're not recognizing and we're not realizing where we are, the Holy Spirit can convict us and we can realize I have lost my way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here's the sad part. That sometimes staying out of the company of the wicked or the sinners or scoffers often means that we sit alone. It means we have to sit alone. I remember growing up, I was obviously different you say well duh look at you now <laughs> I was different I didn't do a lot of the things that the people around me did I had my struggles I had my sin but I did not do what many of them did and often I found myself now this is after the maturity and and the Lord saving me and helping me understand I found myself outside of the circle because I was willing to be different. I was willing to be the outcast. Did it come with hurt? Did it come with pain? Did it even come with creating my own struggles? But in order to stay out of the way of the wicked, often we sit alone. Look at Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Then Peter goes on, it actually was before, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners to exiles and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You look at Jesus in the final days of his life. Jesus had his group of 12. He knew one of them would betray him. He said, sitting around the table, one of you drinking from this cup tonight is going to betray me. And Judas says, is it I? He said, you're the one that said it, not me. Jesus on his way the hill of Golgotha. When he leaves the city, he's carrying his cross. Peter, who has stood by his side, who, who was so angry, we talked about it last week, when the guards come to take Jesus, Peter cuts off the man's ear. Jesus has to heal it back, right? Peter, that same Peter, said, I'm going to be right here, Jesus. There's nowhere to be found when Jesus is carrying his cross. 
Simon Peter could have carried the cross, but instead it had to be Simon of Cyrene that carried Jesus' cross. Peter missed an opportunity. Could you imagine what it been, would have been like for Peter to live through that moment and, and make it and, and realize, just carry the weight of realizing I was able to carry, I was able to perform that last act of service for Jesus. He missed it. Then Jesus is hanging on the cross. And his disciples are confused and they don't really understand. They don't know what they're going through, but he's hanging on the cross and to his left and to his right, you've got the two disciples that shortly before had said, Jesus, could we ask of you one thing? When you sit on the throne, could we sit on your right and on your left? Remember that? Their idea, what they had in mind was Jesus on a throne as the king. And as he's as, on the throne as a king, they want to sit in the kingdom beside the throne to his right and to his left. Now here we have Jesus hanging on a cross with a sign over his head that says king of the Jews. Every opportunity in the world for those two disciples to be on his right and on his left and they're nowhere to be found. Instead, you've got two criminals hanging beside Jesus. Because sometimes we have to sit alone. And we've got to be on guard to realize that none of us are above sin. John said in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And so we're looking at this whole idea of blessed is the man who has no sin. There was a man named Joseph Flax who was visiting Palestine in the early 20th century. He had an opportunity to address a gathering of Jews and Arabs, and he decided to speak on this psalm that we're talking about today. And he read it in Hebrew and discussed the language and the verb tenses. And he asked the question, who's the blessed man of whom the psalmist speaks? This man never walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat at the seat of mockers. He, had absol he was absolutely a sinless man. Nobody spoke to answer flack. We understand the original language. It actually is blessed is the man who walks not, but that walks is not that I've made the decision to no longer walk in the counsel of the wicked. It's what we call an imperfect verb. Quick little tidbit side note. It means that it's ongoing. It means that it hasn't happened and it's not going to happen. You and I don't fall under that category is where I'm getting to. There's never been a time in our life that there has not been a season that we did not have some sort of sin. We're born of flesh, right? There's never been a time in your life that you were sinless. Maybe you're living in a place now where you don't have sin, you're not acting on sin, but there was some point in your life where there was blame and there was sin. Flax said, was he our great father Abraham? One man said, no, it could not be Abraham. He denied his wife and told a lie about her. 
Well, was it the lawgiver Moses? No, somebody else said it can't be Moses. He killed a man and lost his temper. And Flax says, was it David? No, couldn't be David. He committed both murder and adultery. There's this long silence, and then an elderly Jew stood up and said, my brothers, I have a little book here. It's called the New Testament. I've been reading it. He said, and if I could believe this book, if I could be sure that it's true, I would say the man of the first psalm is Jesus. The only man that's ever walked the earth that's not walked in the way of the wicked, never stood in the way of sinners, and never sat in the seat of a scoffer, is Jesus Christ himself. Who's the blessed man? Jesus is the blessed man. So what does it mean for us as we read this psalm? Well, I told you it was cut and dry. You thought, hey, if I don't, walk in the counsel of the ungodly and I don't stand in the way of the sinner and I don't be a scoffer, I can be a blessed man. Not really. It's not that easy. See, we're thankful because according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness, the righteousness of God. If you're in Christ, your life is wrapped up in him and his life is wrapped up in yours. On the cross, he took your sin and gave us righteousness. Jesus is the blessed man. Because of his act on the cross, I can be the blessed man. We've got to become like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is the blessed man? The blessed man is Jesus. There's two characteristics about the blessed man. First of all, you read this. In verse 2 it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. He doesn't have any sin. The second thought is the blessed man loves the word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Joshua said the same thing very similarly in chapter 1, verse 8. It says, The book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according to all that's written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. We talked about this some weeks back earlier in the year. We want a prosperous life. We want life to be successful. What do we do? Meditate on the Word of God. Meditation on the Word brings prosperity and success. God wants the very best for us, and his desire is for us to prosper. Meditation on the Word does several things, and I'm going to list these to you pretty quick. Number one, meditation demands obedience. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When I've stored up my word, your word in my heart, and your word is there, it's there so that I might not sin against you. Meditation on the Word grants and demands obedience. Secondly, it gives understanding and wisdom. Psalm 119, verses 97 and 98 say, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. The meditation on your law, Lord, 
makes me wiser than my enemies. Understanding and wisdom comes from meditation. Thirdly, meditation creates praise and worship. Psalm 63, verse 5 and 6 says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. When I'm meditating on you in the wee hours, when I'm meditating on you, my mouth will praise you and I'll be full of joy. Fourthly, meditation on the word brings delight. Psalm 1 and 2, I already read it to you, says, the blessed man has delight in the law. I'm not a reader. Can we just be honest? I struggle. I'm not a reader. I am attempting to complete a master's degree and I hate to read. That is a terrible idea. There is one book that I delight in. One. And I've read and I've listened to all kinds. This is the book that actually brings delight. This is it. I can read a book about this book, and it still doesn't bring me the same delight that this book does. Meditation on the Word brings delight. Fifthly, it gives confidence and faith. Psalm 16, 8 says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. As long as the word is before me, as long as it's before everything I do, I will not be shaken. Meditation on the word. The blessed man loves the word of God. See, one important sign that someone has genuinely come to faith is that he or she has a hunger for the Word of God. If you've truly come to know Jesus, you truly have a desire to know Jesus. You will only delight in God's law if you already delight in God himself. The people of old were not as privileged as we are today. They didn't have all these different fancy translations that were on all these different reading levels, and they didn't have the pretty leather bindings and the pretty pink and purple Bibles, and they didn't have the, the phone with the version Bible app. They didn't have the Word of God at their fingertips. There would be very few copies, and they would have to go, and they would sit, and they would meditate, and they would ponder on the Word of God and the actions of God, and they would have to, to, to soak them in, and they would soak them in to the point that they could regurgitate them back. We're spoiled. Can we be real? We have no reason to memorize Scripture because we can pull it up in a matter of 10 seconds by Googling a Scripture reference. We're spoiled. These people delighted in the Word of God. The word delight here the original language expresses all that makes a man of God happy. The word made them happy. It brought joy. We look at the word meditate. The word meditate means to murmur or mutter. Kind of has a sense of talking to yourself, speaking under your breath. I don't know if you ever talk to yourself, but me and myself and I, 
have wonderful conversations. He will talk to me when nobody else will. Many of my conversations with me, myself and I, are dealing with the way of the Lord. Many of them are battling through challenges and wondering why in the world God's doing what he's doing and why he is, is allowing whatever to take place, why he even allows me to approach his presence oftentimes, knowing who and how I really am. This is also an imperfect verb that I told you about earlier. It means it's an ongoing action. Day and night. It's a program, basically, that always runs in the background, that we meditate on the Word of God. We've got to read the Word to meditate on the Word. I'll be honest, I'm not going to ask you to give me a show of hands. If you followed our Bible reading plan since the beginning of the year, you've done an amazing job. I'm there. I've led, I'm caught up, but it's been intense to push through and read what we've been trying to read. Amen? Those of you that are doing it know. But I believe even in the days when I have to rush through and I listen to it twice as fast as what the, the Bible app is actually letting me do, those days that I'm rushing through, I believe even in those moments, the Word of God is so alive that I'm still soaking and there's still something that's going to make a difference. I will tell you, when I slow the man down to times and a half instead of two times, there's so much more reward in my time in the Word. If you don't have no clue what I'm talking about, when I slow down and read this Word, God speaks to my very situation in that day. If you've been reading and you're caught up, you've been reading in Isaiah. There's been random verses of Scripture that it's like has nothing to do with what Isaiah was saying, but it's like God has literally read my mail and wrote those words on that page for me for the day. But I've got to slow down long enough to read them to get it. Meditation on the Word. The blessed man loves the Word of God. Who is the blessed man? The blessed man is Jesus Christ. And every man or woman who belongs to Christ also receives the blessings. And if we belong to him, our goal should be to live a life without sin and in the word. Second question, you're thinking, my Lord, how is the godly man blessed? The godly man is blessed with life. Read it with me. Verse 3 said he's like a tree. The tree in the ancient writing is about wisdom. It's growing strong. The tree represents life. Watch Lion King. It's the tree of life. The tree represents life always. And he said that the blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit with leaves that don't wither and prospering. So let's look at the tree. First of all, the tree is planted. 
You go look at a forest, there's trees everywhere. It makes no rhyme or reason as to where they are, wherever the seed falls, the tree grows, right? It could be in a horrible location, it could be in a great location, but it's not intentionally planted. But if you take a landscaper, there's probably bushes around your house, there's probably flowers or something around your house, maybe even a tree. Before you planted that bush or that tree, you did the research and you found out how big it's going to get. You found out what it needed to survive and you being the landscaper planted that tree or that, that shrub, whatever it is, intentionally in its place to serve a purpose so that it could live and survive, right? The blessed man is planted intentionally. God has intentionally planted you somewhere that you could live. Exactly where he wanted us to be, he's planted us. I wonder sometimes, I used to want to live back in uh, the cowboy days and, and have my horses and, uh, you know, mamas don't let your babies grow to be cowboys, those kind of days. That was the day I wanted to live. And I had to come to the realization as an adult that for some reason or another, God intentionally planted me in this point of history. You were planted here for a reason. God is not a God that's bound by time, but we are bound by time. He is the creator of time. Therefore, he could have put you anywhere he wanted you to be from eternity ago to eternity to come. But he planted you here. Why did he put you in the United States? I've asked myself that question. We love watching the show Caribbean Life. And I ask myself, God, why did you plant me in the United States? I don't have the answer. But I know that he intentionally planted me. The tree is planted. Not only was the tree planted, but where God plants something and he plans something, it grows. We were planted intentionally by a stream so that we could grow. John 7, verses 37 through 39, Jesus is having a conversation. He stands up. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is the water and the restoration for our spiritual drought. Isaiah prophesied. He said, for I'll pour out water on my thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and blessing on, my, on your descendants. The spirit is water for our thirsty soul in the spiritual drought. Sometimes we go through a spiritual drought. Maybe you've never been there. I've been there where it's like, why in the world does it feel like we're dried up? God, where in the world are you? Where are those blessings? Where is your presence? Where is your anointing, God, that you poured out and poured out, and now all of a sudden I'm in this drought and it's no longer there? It's not that it's no longer there. It's that I'm a tree that's planted beside, the, beside a sustainable source, and all I've got to do is grow my roots down deep and live on the source. Not only does the tree grow, but it yields fruit. This is where so many of us stop. Because if we meditate on the word of God, your life should produce fruit. Paul said that the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus said in John 15 verses 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
we're not bearing fruit, we have to ask the question, are we really abiding in him? Is he really abiding in us? Because the blessed man is planted intentionally to bear fruit. But the way to bear fruit is to abide. The leaves don't wither. When things get hot, my yard is brown. If I dropped a match out of there, the whole yard would go Poof. But I couldn't afford Eastover's water bills to keep watering it. My grass died when I quit putting water on it. Fortunately for me and for you, God planted us at a place that I don't need water from Eastover to stay alive. God's planted me by a stream that's never going to run dry. It's a stream of living water flowing, I believe, from the, the, the gates of heaven that water flows. He is the living water. Therefore, when life gets dry, I don't have to wither as long as I abide in him. The tree also prospers. He said the blessed man is like a tree that's going to prosper. Now we want to think of this that, you know, we won the lottery because we're blessed. Prosperity does not equal money. Prosperity equals the life that's blessed by God. Success in the eyes of God. And in order to prosper sometimes the way that God is wanting us to prosper, sometimes the blessing is through pain and confusion. Sometimes the blessing God wants to send is through hurt. It's through the hard times. It's through the rough times. But those times aren't pointless because that's prosperity. The blessed man is like a solid tree. Then things take a turn. Intentionally, I spent all my time talking about the blessed man because I don't like talking about the wicked one. Who's the blessed man? How's the blessed man blessed? And why is the godly man blessed? He said, the wicked are not like a tree. Instead, they're like shaft that the wind drives away. There's no protection. Shaft is dry. One thing that was interesting whenever I was studying for this, the whole thought of an empty husk. You go to the restaurants that have peanuts on the table. Right? What? Texas Steakhouse, maybe. Logan's. Maybe they don't do it no more because stupid COVID. And then you can't throw the husk on the floor anymore because somebody might fall. You ever played a joke and got the peanuts out of the, the shell, put the shell back together, put it back in the bucket so when somebody opened it, it'd be empty? From the outside, it looks like it's full. You open it up, it's empty. See, the problem with some of us are we look like there's grain in the husk. But in reality, 
It's empty. And it's hard to distinguish the two. If you're not intentional, you can't tell. Looking at it. But when you pick it up, which I had an empty bottle of water. Now you can tell the difference. The weight. The reason that an empty husk is going to blow away like the shaft is because it's weightless. The grain falls to the ground, and we're picturing a harvesting floor, right? And we're separating the grain from the husk. We, if you would, picture it. Uh, we were at youth camp this past summer, and everybody under the sun, their allergies went berserk because there was a combine right next door that was going, and it was picking uh, corn or something out of the field, and the husks were flying. It was like a huge cloud of dust all over the Kinley campgrounds. Same concept. This combine is going through, this harvester is going through, and it's sifting, and it's, it's getting the grain, and it's keeping the grain by weight, and then it's shooting out the, the junk, the husk, that it is no good. It's separating. There's a separation. And whenever the rubber meets the road, although everybody else sees a husk that's full from the outside, in reality, when the wind begins to blow, and God begins to do the sifting, the weight's not going to be there to land where it's supposed to land. We're not going to be firm enough. We're not going to be solid enough to stay in the presence of God. Instead, instead we're going to blow away with the wicked like the wind. I've lived a life. Maybe it's just me. Where from the outside looking in, you saw a whole husk. But when you dissect that husk, you see a mess. You see emptiness. You see brokenness. You even find sin. And the psalmist says, unfortunately for the wicked, they're going to blow away with the wind. He said, therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now, I'm going to be honest here on earth. That's scary, and it drives me to do the mission of the gospel. In reality, I can't wait till the day that sin is not present in the congregation of the righteous. I can't wait for the day that evil doesn't exist, that it's all lightness, it's all light, and it's all goodness. I can't wait for the day that the sun and the moon don't have to rise anymore because God's glory is going to be the light. I can't wait till there's not any darkness in the congregation of God's righteous people. Why is the godly man blessed? The only answer to that question is because he's covered under the righteousness of God. Jesus is the blessed man. The only way we fulfill this psalm, the only way this is our life, is by being under the covering and abiding in Jesus. For our life to be wrapped up in this word and for this word to be wrapped up in us, the goal is not for us to, to really get to a place where we grasp this word, but it's more so that this word can grasp us. I don't know about you, but I want to be the blessed man. 
Amen? I want the joy and the happiness of God's glory and His grace to consume my life. Why is he blessed? Because Jesus is not protecting the wicked. Jesus is protecting the righteous. How is he blessed? Well, he hates sin and loves the word. It's pretty much that simple. We're in the room today, and we don't know Jesus Got a real slim chance of being the blessed man. By slim, I mean 0% chance of being the blessed man. If life is empty and it's hopeless, I would argue with you maybe it's because we're not abiding in Him. Maybe it's because we're not vicious at avoiding sin. Maybe it's because we found ourselves at a place where we identify with the sinners more than we do the godly, but yet we're too blinded to lift up our head and see it. I pray today that the Holy Spirit would lift up your eyes and allow you to see it if that's where you are. Because God's got such a blessed life for every one of us. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you, Father, that your word is a protection over my life. Lord, in my darkest nights, in my darkest hours, when, Lord, literally demonic forces are, are trying to battle for my soul and my life, Father, I thank you that I can take the, the word of God, the, my physical copy of the word of God, and I can simply lay it on my head or I can lay it on my chest and I can lay there with peace and comfort and quietness by, by just the protection of your word on my life. Father, I thank you that this book of instruction is a life book. It's, it's full of blessing. It's full of, of instruction for every area of our life, God. Lord, I thank you that although I can't live up to the standard of the blessed man on my own, I don't have to. I can live by the standards of Jesus' righteousness as long as I abide in him. As long as I Flee from sin and run to your word. Father, I pray for anyone who might be in the room today who don't know you. Maybe their life is like an empty husk. And to everybody else, it looks like they're holding it together. It looks like they're, they're great. God, but on the inside, they're falling apart. On the inside, they're empty. They're broken. They're hurt. Father, I'm communicating today to that person that you love them more than they could ever imagine. There's no emptiness that's too dark. There's no place too far for your love to travel. You want to feel that husk today. You're in the room, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've had a relationship before, but it's not where it's supposed to be, and you need to live your life abiding in him so that you can be the blessed man. If you don't know Jesus today, 
I want to just introduce you to him. Would you just slip up your hand? You don't know Jesus. Your life's not where it should be. Hallelujah. Father, in the room today, God, if we're being honest, we're being truthful, one of two things is happening. Either we all know you or we're denying knowing you in this moment. Father, I pray that it's the first, and I believe, God, that if it is, you want to bless every person in the room. Father, we can live the blessed life. Father, let us, let us not be blinded to sin. Let us flee from sin. God, we can't be ignorant and act like we don't have sin. Your word tells us if we do that, we're deceived. No one is without sin. Father, but we can be cleaned and washed and we can put on the umbrella of righteousness so that that sin no longer has to be what defines us anymore. We can be defined by Jesus Christ. There's only one blessed man, and that is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And today, Lord, we want to be in your presence. God, we commit to abiding in you. Lord, we want you to abide in us. We commit to this word. We commit to the, 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 allowing it to be the delight of our life. Father, that throughout every situation and every circumstance throughout the day, not just when we sit down to, to take the time to have a time of devotion and read your word, God, but when we get up and we walk out and, and we're in this trial, we're in this situation, Father, when we're on the mountaintop and we're celebrating life, God, we want to delight in your word. Let us meditate on it day and night so that we can be who it is that you want us to be in order to be the blessed man. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your presence in the house today. I thank you for joy that's been in the house of the Lord today. Father, I pray you bless your people, you keep them. God, that you would bring them back again. God, give them grace and peace. Let your face shine on them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, let us live the blessed life. Amen and amen.